Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you today. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Doing fine, thank good, you. Good, good, good. And we're preparing. We yeah. have to be prepared. Government is changing. But yesterday I was making the argument, Congress really isn't in charge. So yeah. why are they paying so much attention <laughs> to that? Well, in the meantime, it does serve a purpose. A distraction of, uh, from the things they're really doing. And uh, since I think most government is very secret and it's done behind the scenes, it's done. There is a deep state. I believe there is such a deep state. That sounds conspiratorial, so <laughs> I'll change the name someday. And, you know, the people who really run the show. Uh, so, but uh, big, big vote soon. Yeah, today. Today, today. And yeah. the big question is, is will they have more than one vote for the first time in 100 years? Or is uh, McCluskey going to just... Uh, uh, Kevin McCluskey. McCarthy. McCarthy, McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 he went on the vote first. Yeah, so. yeah. It's a big question. But people are going to miss Nancy. Really? Yeah, <laughs> I think. Which ones? But, but you know what? Um, all I could think of being in my silly mood, uh, Nancy... Nancy Pelosi ought to get up and say, don't cry for me, America. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, she, she could sing it. <laughs> she could sing it. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, he, uh, she's, um, she, she's leaving, but uh, I don't think uh, she's going to have to worry about uh, her investments. I think she's secure. Yeah, there, think, there'll be some retirement funds, I think. And besides, I heard her say, but it's a secret because it's confidential, <laughs> that she wants to be a stockbroker. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she's going to be a stockbroker. And, uh, but, you know, there was one episode, and uh, we, you and I have talked about this, that I think is so dramatically evil. Uh, because there's sort of a limit to being nasty. Yeah. But I thought it, it, the thing that she did at the State of the Union message, yeah. I don't care what she says or does with Trump. Yeah. But I think if there's nothing left, and I'm arguing that there's not much left of the Congress, that, uh, that they shouldn't do it. But her tearing up the speech and casting it down like she was God Almighty, you know, so annoyed yeah. me a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I just don't... Uh, think that uh, he, she is going to be missed a whole lot, but there's still going to be chaos there, and we know that. We talked about that yesterday, and a lot of people are interested in it, because uh, if, if there's any truth to what we say, that Congress uh, really isn't in control, uh, what do you do about it? How does it happen? Should we continue? Well, I, I always thought it was worthwhile presenting a position and, and uh, work the couple years in Washington and uh, you know Washington kept doing exactly what they've been doing uh, all along but I also believe that information and discussing the issues and inviting young people to listen to it if we want to have changes and, and do things that it should be an educational process it should be an understanding of the system and uh, then then when the people, you know, as a group decide, well, you know, maybe this has gone too far. Maybe we should have a, a much better system where the, the, the people actually didn't tell so many lies, you know, in Washington. I mentioned yesterday that, uh, you know, getting somebody telling a lie, a, uh, small, a small lie about their resume yeah. <laughs> uh, is minor to, to the lie that they tell when they take a pledge to obey the Constitution. Yeah. And they go out and 90% of the votes they cast, as far as I'm concerned, are unconstitutional. 
But I don't think they want to accept this whole thing that that's a lie. That they're able to rationalize that, and and I think what that's one of our efforts here is try to get people to see what's actually going on and not to get let them get away with the rationalizations and and uh, pretend that they know what's going on. We certainly spend a lot of time in the world today about the whole issue of war and peace. You know, uh, how, how do the wars get started, and that's pretty darn serious. Yeah. Well, you think about the legacy, the first woman speaker of the House in history, U.S. history, and I'm sure she's thinking about her legacy, but when we think about her legacy, when I do, and I think you're, you suggested it as well, I do think of that moment where she ripped up the President Trump's final State of the Union speech, and in fact, we have that video. It's that first uh, tweet has a video embedded in it. If we can watch and refresh ourselves on this moment on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives... It's only 13 seconds, but we should watch it again. If our internet will cooperate. <laughs> we'll get to watch Nancy. <laughs> well, it's not cooperating now, but there is the moment where she took the speech. And interestingly enough, as he was finishing, you could see her fiddling with her papers, trying to figure out how many pages at once uh, she could rip up. And... Uh, practicing doing here we go here she is ripping up the speech on the floor of the house now she was asked later well, why did you do this i mean what, what, what's going on with that and let's do that second <coughs> clip because here's where she explains why she ripped up the president's speech on the floor of the house that second tweet if we can yeah let's listen to this it's only 10 seconds so it's a quickie Why did you rip the speech up, Madam Speaker? Because it was the courteous thing to do, considering the alternative. Yeah, so it was the most appropriate thing to do, considering the alternative. What is she threatening? She was going to smack him in the nose or something? So I think, really, at that moment, she revealed a lot. I think she cheapened the office. I think she demeaned the office. There's a lot of evil things that are done on the House floor. But to me, that just represented um, the lowest point. Uh, certainly when, when I remember being in Congress. But let's not forget also that she was an absolute liar. And that is a fact. And I don't have a clip for this, but we'll all go back. The entire Trump era, in fact, she owes a great thank you to Trump because Trump essentially defined her existence over those four years. He gave her a raison d'etre, you know. And if you remember all the things she said, Pelosi on Trump. With Trump, all roads lead to Putin. She was a chief, chief proponent of this conspiracy theorist theory, which has proven to be a lie cooked up by her party that Trump colluded with the Russians. That's, that's right. You know, I remember her well because uh, when I first went to Congress, and I, I always considered that election a sort of a fluke, what am I doing here? <laughs> but uh, that was back, uh, Daniel, before uh, we had Daniel uh, in Washington, before yeah. you got there, oh, yeah. where they actually went over the bills, and we were doing the foreign affairs bill. And uh, I had an amendment to uh, get out of the U.N. and strike all the U.N. funds. And that was when you had open debate. You yeah. had a rule, they, they, and they would let it go on. And it was strange. I probably uh, had a debate with her. She did most of her side of the argument, and I did it on our side. And it probably lasted for an hour. It was real interesting. And she, uh, she, she was... Uh, 
you know, d dignified in the sense that she wasn't yelling or shouting and she didn't come across like this. It, it is, she, she was different. Hmm. Uh, she was still a liberal and yeah. all, but power, I think, uh, something about power corrupting, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that might have had an effect over, uh, and that probably was in the 70s that I'm talking about. So that's been a few it's years a back. Few years. So uh, she's, she's, uh, she didn't uh, move in the direction of improving her personality, let yeah. me tell you that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or her character. Or her character. And, you know, as she leaves, you know, the people in her party may not want to admit this, but there certainly is a cloud over her as she departs. And if we look at this first uh, photo, this first clip, if we can put it up, and this is from Just the News uh, with John Solomon. Key Republicans, they say, that Pelosi needs to testify about January 6th security failures after bombshell revelations. And there's a lot of transcripts that have come out the January 6th committee, there's a huge dump at the end of December, and that actually that, those transcripts inform our first two stories today. But from that, if you can put on that next clip, this is, this is what they're talking about. Um, they told Just the News Television that the email and text messages showing Pelosi staff directly involved in the January 6th security planning directly undercut the claims the speaker made that she has no power or role over security. Of course, we know that's not true. And here's a quote from uh, Jim Jordan. The reason there wasn't a proper security presence on that day goes right to the speaker's staff in the speaker's office, said Jordan, who will become chairman of the House Judiciary Committee in January. So what was her role? We don't know quite yet what her role was uh, in this. And of course, there are a lot of right-wing conspiracy theories. Uh, some of them seem to have been proven wrong. But the idea that a Speaker of the House, as you know very well, Dr. Paul, has no control over security is not true. She controls, along with her counterpart in the Senate, they control the Capitol Hill Police Department. And that day... And that's going to come out. That's going to come out, yeah. yeah. So there's another legacy of hers, I think. Right. You know, there was an interview recently by a man by the name of Moore, I believe, uh, and he was asked, uh, he asked her, what will Republican House look like? A lot of investigations and maybe impeachment. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, she, she says, I won't take any responsibility for all that stuff. And uh, what, what would I have done differently? Won more elections and not given them the power to do what they did. And this is the key sentence I want to mention. Make sure that a creature like Donald Trump never became president of the United States. And I got to thinking, well, that would, you know, they have a different definition of democracy. We're not exactly <laughs> gun ho about their type of democracy, but they don't even follow their yeah. democracy. So they, they want to make it so, well, he didn't he didn't do the right things and we did everything in the world to stop him we cheated all we could yeah. and, and we used the fbi against him and we have to make sure he can never run again and that's still alive and well so that's their idea of democracy i call it authoritarianism at its worst <laughs> anti-americanism you know it really is yeah. and now what about her role in the january 6th committee itself i mean that's another one part of her legacy uh, and we really hound on this because I think it's one of the most, the ho most horrible injustices we've had in the last you know, couple of decades. But remember, when they put that committee together, by tradition, as you know, the Republicans can have a couple of members on the committee and they nominate and put them on the committee. Well, she, for the first time, stepped in and said, no, you don't get to put on who you want. You get to put on who I say. And so she, sta she stacked the two Republican slots, as we know, with Kinzinger, the crybaby, and Liz Cheney, who now is out of work. 
I think that is a real, uh, a real period, uh, a real uh, disservice to the House of Representatives. You know, I often wondered if, uh, if they really believe what they're saying, how bad uh, Trump is. Uh, well, um, wouldn't, wouldn't it be to their advantage to get him in office? Yeah, really. <laughs> and then, then have a target, you know, for him. But uh, so bad, why, why wouldn't they help him? But, you know, I, I have a theory about all this, and it's just a theory because I don't uh, hear other people talking about this. I think, uh, in a way, he was so unconventional. He attacked, uh, you know, political correctness, and he didn't get punished. Yeah. And, uh, and he actually became president. And, uh, and, and, but I think that the typical politician that's on the other side became very jealous of this. How can, yeah. how can he do this? He's defying <laughs> all the rules, and now he's president of the United States. So they, they couldn't do much about it, but just work hard at destroying him, impeach him a couple times. And, uh, but uh, I think that morphed into the jealousy turned into vicious hate. <laughs> I think the hate is what drives them, uh, because uh, if, if they let him go in office, that ought to help. But uh, I, I think they, um, his opposition feels intimidated by him. Yeah. And, and that's why they, they work so hard. And he invites some of it. I'm not going to argue that. Yeah, that's it, true. He's invited some of this, and there are problems. But uh, I think the average politician up there uh, feel very intimidated that how can he get away with it? Yeah. That, that, that had occurred on the very first debate that, that he was in, and uh, he, he got, away, got away with it. What do you mean? He goes after John McCain. He got away with it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Is he above the law? Yeah. <laughs> Our law. So, so it's pretty much of a joke. When you said jealous, it reminded me of a story that you tell about when you had your first big money ball that made history, and they all rushed you on the floor. How did you do it? This isn't fair. You know, how, how did you raise all that money. You know, you're you're not you're not as important as we are. And they wanted the technology. They they, they the last thing they wanted to know because I would quiz them and I said, well, maybe it has something to do with my voting record. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that that was not. There was somebody. It, they knew I wasn't a computer person, and you know this was early on. And they said, "Well, there you have somebody in your staff that really knows how to use that computer and go if out." If they only knew. <laughs> uh, right. Our second story for today is also related to this uh, dump of transcripts, and this reveals a darker and more frightening side, I think, of the government. You might even call it a deep state. If you can put this next one on, this is from uh, Jim Haft over at the Gateway Pundit. Uh, treason, he calls it. General Mark Milley hid nuclear codes from Trump, held secret calls with Chinese defense officials, then surrendered to Taliban and armed them with 80 billion in weapons. Now, that's a bit of an incendiary headline. I get it. You want to uh, catch attention. But he captured some of what actually happened. And uh, in, if you look in a little bit less inflammatory way at the next piece, I think this is a Yahoo piece. Um, January 6th panel transcripts so that General Milley agreed with Pelosi that Trump was, quote, crazy. So she, uh, and we'll do to the next one. This is from that article. Let's do this one next one here because this tells you what happens. So a Speaker of the House asked the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs if the nuclear codes are safe because she fears the President is crazy and liable to make a deadly decision to stay in power, he wrote on Monday. So much of the P Pelosi legacy understandably focuses on legislation, but her deep alarm about Trump in the final days and the steps she took 
From an urgent call to Milley to pushing Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment, then moving to impeach, is a key part of it. So the Speaker of the House and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff colluded to keep the nuclear codes away from President Trump, who has a constitutional authority as the Commander-in-Chief of the military. That is really shocking. We heard a little bit about it, but now these transcripts really confirm what happened. Right. And, and you know, the, the message is that uh, he would deal with the Chinese, but he was whispering in their ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and say, you know, don't sweat it. I'm here, and I'm going to take care of it. It's not going to happen. If it is, well, I'm going to warn you about it. That has to get pretty close to treason, yeah. you know, to tell the potential. At least, at least if the enemy it was half of what they claim it is to be. Some of the information, if you held, if you held it in a diplomatic fashion, some of this information, you know, neutralizes things when you have people like Reagan and Gorbachev talking about uh, reducing the number of nuclear missiles, that's, that's a little bit different than yeah. what, what was going on here. And, uh, you know, here, here they're, they work so hard about uh, taking Russiagate that they were guilty of and blaming Trump for it. At the same time, they have had those friends trying to do, do this to them. I, I think that uh, maybe, maybe history uh, will uh, work it out. I keep thinking, you know, the revelations today with, uh, uh, with Elon Musk, you know, on Twitter, I, I, maybe I'm just too biased, but it seems to me like that should give Trump more credibility. Yeah. Because it, it, it more, they more or less are verifying uh, what he said, but, but they, they don't present it that way, so I don't think it's changed people's minds too much. Well, you never know. But here's, let's look at that next one, because this is, uh, this is from the transcript. So if we can look at that next clip, this is a tweet that's pretty fascinating, actually. This just came out. Um, this is his testimony. An extraordinary moment in American history. A Speaker of the House asked the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs if the nuclear codes are safe because she fears the President's crazy. And this is from the transcript. Uh, yeah, what prompts her call is concern about the President's stability or mental health. She even says in the call, you know he's crazy, don't you? And she is reported to have said, she is reported to have said, General Milley, you agree with her. You said, I agree 100% with everything you've said. The one thing I can guarantee is that the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, I want you to know, I want you to know this in your heart of hearts, I can guarantee you 100% that the military, uh, use of military power, whether it's nuclear strike or foreign country of any kind, we're not going to do anything illegal or crazy. This is direct insubordination to have President Trump's Chairman of the Joint Chiefs saying, don't worry, I'm not going to let the President do what he is rightly and constitutionally allowed to do according to uh, the U.S. Constitution as Commander-in-Chief. You know, I, I work on the theory as I read and try to study and understand that the coup has already occurred. Yeah. And that uh, a lot of this stuff is incidental and it's fanfare and it's distraction. And this type of uh, activity, it isn't that somebody like Pelosi uh, is in government, so therefore she doesn't know it. No, I think they have, they have their people in special places because it's the, you know, the people who become, uh, you know, chairman of committees and all, they're, they're not really done by democracy, you know, <laughs> electing the, the grassroots up there. They're, they're done by very special uh, planning and scheming and money. I don't know which article it was there, but what about all the, uh, when she was bragging about how much money she raised? Yeah, yeah. Billions of dollars. Yeah. That was her, her great, great thing. It wasn't one thing about, 
you know, one thing we did, we, we moved this country toward a sound currency and less war. <laughs> no, it's, I raised $10 billion. Yeah. It wasn't 10, it was probably a little less than that. <laughs> well, she'll, yeah, she'll have more time with Paul, I guess. <laughs> well, should we move on to the last one or we still want to talk about no. Millie? Nope, I think, that'll I think history will judge Millie, that's, that's for sure. Well, let's put on that next clip because this is just something that we want to talk about briefly. We want to look on Ukraine. This happened on New Year's Day, New Year's Eve slash New Year's Day. Dozens of Russian soldiers killed in Ukrainian strike on New Year's Eve. Uh, according to the Russians, 63 conscripts were killed when a, and this is interesting, this is NBC News says, NBC News says when a Ukrainian HIMARS attack on an occupied region uh, in fact, the Russian media reports accurately that these are American HIMARS. These are the American weapons that were sent over there. So I think the reason why it made such big news um, is that it doesn't happen very often, this big concentration of troops. Unfortunately, on the Ukrainian side, it's a daily occurrence where you lose this number of troops. But I don't think that's what's interesting. We talked about it before the show. What's interesting is how it's being perceived, I think, in Russia, um, which is that this was an American system American military system, American missiles in Ukraine shot, killing dozens of Russian soldiers. I think that's what's, how it's being perceived there. Yeah, and it demonstrates the real challenge that we who believe in less war and less warmongering uh, look at this because, uh, you know, the majority probably of the Republicans and Democrats, you, you know, are... Uh, very, very concerned about uh, Russia yeah. and China. You know, it's almost incessant, and therefore they keep thinking that this is going. This has to change. But the U.S. Uh, p position on this, it should, it should be so clear. And there's been some clarity and good writing on this. And most of them, when they really want to clarify current events with this, they go back, you know, to t 2014. Uh, you know, with the coup that we participated in, and uh, and yet it, you can even go back further with the false promises we made as the Cold War was ending. Uh, but and I can understand it. I, I hate the idea of uh, people, uh, you know, a attacking us yeah. as a country because I identify w with our country. Yeah. And there's a lot, a lot of good things have happened, and they've been good, good in the past. But uh, they, they uh, will continue to do that. I think it's so difficult to have to listen to this and uh, and put up with all the all the complaints that they make. Yeah. Well, we do know that the U.S. built, supplied these rockets, probably trained the Ukrainians in how to f fire them. And also we know that they are assisting them with intelligence, with GPS targeting, showing them where to go. So they are American missiles using American technology with targeting data provided by the Americans to kill dozens of Russian troops. Now, it doesn't matter who you blame for this war. All you have to do is imagine a scenario where there was Chinese-made and supplied missiles in Mexico. The Chinese gave all the targeting data, and those missiles went in and killed a bunch of Americans on an American base on U.S. soil. Regardless of who's to blame for the invasion, the fact is, in America, we would be livid even if we were to blame. Even if the Syrians somehow were able to do that when we invaded their country, uh, we would be livid because it strikes at the core. So I think the point to make is we are getting dangerously close to direct involvement when you do these kinds of things. Now, we've read that the Biden administration believes that Russia won't do anything uh, regardless of what we do because they haven't done anything yet. 
that seems like a big gamble, Dr. Paul. That's for sure. You know, I want to mention a story that was a big story. I don't watch uh, much TV. Well, I can't say that. I watch TV, but I flip channels. I'm always looking for the different parts, what each channel is saying. And I do about the same thing on sporting events. I I like to sometimes know who's playing and watch the good plays and and all. So last night I did. Carol and I were watching it, and uh, it had had the football game on. I'd have to think a minute about who was playing, but of course (laughs) it was the announcement of of Hamlin suffering an attack. And, and uh, we were watching that, and we really became a, a bit glued to find out, you know, what's going on because it was a medical incident, and the, and the ambulance came out, and there's still lots of unknowns out there. But uh, I, I can't help but uh, confessing that the uh, one of the very first thoughts I had was, why why would a guy that's what 24 years old in perfect health, in perfect shape? Uh, you know, have a heart attack. Yeah. And uh, they said, well, he got hit hard. Hmm. Uh, but I bet he, I bet in the last year or two, he's been hit hard many times to get as far along in, in sports as he did. And so I kept thinking because uh, there are now more stories. If you read all the news, you do find that from high school on up, there's some there's a sudden death syndrome where and it's usually by, from the heart but it's never uh never you know related to uh the possibility that it could be from vaccines and booster shots from COVID. and uh we know the doctors who have taken a different approach from the very beginning who have now been proven to be right on their their analysis yeah. and uh and for thank goodness uh, fauci has retired i'm afraid they were going to call him up and talk <laughs> about football but anyway my thoughts were you know uh myocarditis and endocarditis occurs with the booster shot i don't think anybody's saying no it never happened but they don't want it be they don't want it to be talked about so that of course is a, a possibility uh, but the, the sad part is, is it's a sad story, yeah. and people, people who uh, don't want to hear it, don't. You can't talk about a sick person this way and and stir this up. But uh, I think you you know some of these stories when they get buried, uh, a lot of people know about it, and then eventually, uh, sometimes a, a week, a month, a year, or ten years later, we we learn what what goes on, and, yeah. and the truth comes out. But uh, to me, it was uh, a very, very sad story. And uh, I, I just think that uh, we haven't heard the final word on yeah. this. Yeah, and I know that we, sorry, I know that we um, don't know what happened. We're not suggesting we know what happened. Could be something completely different. But the real story is that all of a sudden people are now thinking when something like this happens, they weren't thinking a year and a half ago, hmm, I wonder if that's from the shot. And that's this change that's happened. We do know the NFL forced these guys to take the shot and we know that because the very few who resisted people like Aaron Rodgers were demonized they just want to kill people so we know these two things happen we don't know what happened to this young man uh, and certainly we feel terrible about it but it's just fascinating that all of a sudden the first thought in people's minds I bet that had to do with that pretty interesting Dr. Paul I'm just going to close by thanking our viewers reminding them if you're not subscribed to us on Rumble where we where we're live please subscribe to us there Um, please hit the plus button. It doesn't cost a thing to hit the plus button and help get our shows a wider uh, view. 
Uh, we're doing very well. We're happy to be back. We're happy that our numbers are up. And that's because of you. So thanks for your participation. Very good. And uh, I support that uh, statement fully and entirely because uh, things are good. And it looks like there's going to be a, a burst of excitement for the new year, a, a new Congress, a new speaker, and things like that. But sometimes uh, the more of those new things coming up, uh, you have to look elsewhere to find out what's really going on, whether it's the beginning of a war or whether it's some other shenanigans going on or what the Fed is, is doing. Uh, we, have to, uh, we have to keep an eye on it. And there, there's plenty of problems, but there's plenty of good things happening out there. The place where I look when I get a little worried about what's happening is in the areas of the exposure that young people have to the study of honest economic policy, the Austrian School of Economics. There's a lot of it going on. And, you know, I met a lot of those young people during the campaigns, and that's been a few years ago, and they're, they're, they're falling through and doing things. So I think those who are still, you know, going to the Mises Institute and the various libertarian groups is going to, uh, there's a lot of seeds are being planted, and nobody knows where they are. There's always been a remnant. There's always a reason to believe that, uh, you know, things can turn around, and I, but it takes an effort on everybody's part. But there are some days when uh, you just look at it and say, they, we all have a big problem when you think, uh, it, the, easy, the number that I use to tell you how much problem we really have, $31 trillion of debt, and you can't run a household, a business, a country, a state, or anything when you're overwhelmed with debt. And this country is and the world is, and that has to be taken care of, which means it has to be liquidated, and that's a painful operation. But that's why it's crucial we get more people to understand that the medicine you take might uh, give you an upset stomach for an hour or two, but the, uh, we need the medicine. We need the medicine and say that uh, we do not have a free market economy. We do not in, uh, you know, enforce the Constitution. And there's every reason in the world that we have to assume some responsibility to spread the message of peace and prosperity. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.